Well, good morning, Capitol Committee. Rick, thank you so much for the welcome. Linda and I are ecstatic to be back. Um, blue skies. Thank you. Uh, whoever did that, and actually we know who did that and who did that, but blue skies this week have been great. I was actually, I missed last week. Uh, I was doing something else, and I was up in the mountains, and I had forgotten. This is about the time we get our, what, 10, 10 days to 14 days of the leaves turning. You had the yellow leaves, the red leaves. Uh, this was the time of year to be here, so the Lord was very gracious to us to come at this time of year. Um, also wanted to bring you greetings uh, from some old friends. Linda and I had a little jaunt on our way here, uh, and we came through and saw, saw Mark and Bokey Stevenson, for those of you who know them. Uh, they are doing well. They're smiling. Uh, they're learning the language. They are adjusting, uh, and it was just really, really fun to see them and to be with them a little bit before we came here. But they just said thank you so much for your prayers for them and, and all that they are doing there. Well, last April, Linda and I were able to come back and be here uh, in Beijing. We were here in this city for 17 years. Uh, we love this city. We love you very much. And I was able to speak on uh, Exodus chapter 18 uh, for those of you who were here that day. And that was a reminder to us of what God... Uh, taught us through, actually, Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, when he came and, and brought his daughter and two grandsons back to Moses. And uh, he saw how Moses was leading the people and was doing such a great job, uh, but was also getting a little bit burned out. And also, as a result of the load being so heavy, Moses was not able to carry on the responsibilities of leading the people. So uh, Jethro said, Moses... What you need to do is get men to come alongside you, and they can take care of these other cases, and it will give you enough time to do what you need to do to lead the people. So he taught Moses uh, the art of delegation, delegation of task and delegation of responsibility. But what he also taught him was, oh, by the way, let me reintroduce you to your wife, uh, Zipporah, and uh, your two sons. Uh, they've kind of been away while you've been leading the people. And I think what he was teaching us, and I think it was one of the more convicting passages I had studied in a while, was that while we are called to delegate task and responsibility, we cannot delegate relationship. That is something that only you can do and only I can do. Uh, so for uh, soulmates, for friends, uh, for husbands and wives, for fathers and mothers, uh, we cannot delegate relationship to anybody, but we can and should delegate task. So it was a very good convicting message for me, so thank you for asking me to come and, and be able to share that message with you. Well, last time they said, what is something the Lord has convicted me with, and to speak on that, and so that's why I chose Exodus chapter 18, and I thought, well, why not continue with the series? Um, I figure if I have the grace to come back for many years, uh, we can finish the book of Exodus by the year 2050. So, um, in case you uh, fall in love with the city as much as we have, and we have the grace to come back that long, we might be here for another 35 years or so and look at the book of Exodus together. Um, by the way, the experts have told us by the year 2050 that this city might have 60 million people. 
So, wow, what a city this is. One of the things that Linda and I love so much about this city, not only the people, but this is a city that influences the entire world. And the fact that you've been called here to this city at this time is a huge blessing to the city, to this country, but also to you and to be Christ's child here in this city and country. So what I'd like to do now is we're going to look at Exodus chapter 19, verses 1 through 8 in the NIV, and I will read for us. So if you have your Bibles, let's go ahead and open up Exodus chapter 19. Exodus chapter 19, verse 1. In the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on the very day they came to the desert of Sinai. After they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the house of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation." These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and set before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. The people all responded together. We will do everything the Lord has said. So Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. Heavenly Father, would you give us the grace today to hear directly from your holy word? Father, may your word penetrate our hearts, open our eyes, and allow us to more deeply understand what it means for us to be your treasured possession. We ask these prayers in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Kind of to give a, a little bit of a uh, background for this, let's kind of look where, where Israel has been. So I believe we have a map here that you can't see, so you'll just have to kind of follow it with me. But basically we see how uh, the Israelites believe, uh, begin uh, their story as the Lord brings them out of Egypt in the Exodus after the ten plagues and from the city of Ramses, brings them out. And they first go south down to Sukkoth. And there in Sukkoth is where God calls them to stop. And this is something he has done many times. He asks them to stop, wait, and consecrate their firstborn. So the Lord has them wait and consecrate the firstborn so that they realize, again, they're on a spiritual journey. And this is a journey that he will be on there with them. Then they go from Sukkoth and go a little bit farther down south. And they come to a city called Etham in chapter, chapter 13. And that's the first time where we see the pillar of fire that will accompany them at night and give them light at night. And then the cloud that will go by day. And then they kind of switch according to what they need. But we still see God's present, presence tangibly there with the Israelites 
as they are moving through. Then they come to a place called Pi-Hiharoth, and this is where most people think that they cross the Sea of Reeds or the Red Sea, and how the Egyptians followed after them in chapter 14, and God instead drowned them uh, after the Israelites had safely been able to cross in that miracle of crossing the Sea of Reeds or the Red Sea. So we see God's deliverance there. Now we see at this time also that the people were grumbling as they were on the other side of the Sea of Reeds, and they were scared to death. And we will see this continue after they pass through the Sea of Reeds, or the Red Sea, and they get to through the desert of Shur, on the other side now into the Sinai Peninsula, the northern part. Uh, they come to the area called Mara, and Mara is where uh, they had no water, so uh, they grumbled. And then the Lord provided, uh, through Moses putting in a piece of wood, they were able to have water that they could drink in Marah. Then they go from Marah to Elam. And Elam is the area where they had 12 springs and 70 palm trees. A great place. A temporary place. A great place. Oh, and by the way, they did not grumble there. Okay, they were very happy there in Elam. Then from Elam, they went down into the desert of Sin, and that is where, yes, they began grumbling again, and God provided for them manna and quail. And so that's when the manna and the quail began, and that was supposed to be a temporary uh, provision, but as we know from the story, they ended up enjoying that for another 40 years, but that's another talk. Okay, then they go from the desert of Sin to an area called Rephidim, in Rephidim, two things happened. Once again, no water. They grumble, and God again provides. And this is when Moses goes and hits the rock. This is not when he hits the rock twice, just once. This one was the good one. This one was okay, and provided water for the people. And then in the second part of chapter 17 was that amazing battle uh, with the Amalekites when Moses held his arms up, and as long as his arms were held up, the Israelites were winning the battle. And whenever his arms fell down, the Amalekites would win. And uh, so Aaron, uh, they were there to support Moses' arms, so they were able to win the final victory. So that's chapter 17, which then takes us to chapter 18, which we just talked about, where Jethro was able to uh, talk to Moses about delegation, not relationship, but delegation of responsibility and it brings us today to what we looked at in chapter 19. So here we see um, something that's very clear uh, so far for the nation of Israel in the Exodus. They grumble a lot when things don't go their way. And God is very patient, patient with them and provides them, them for all their needs, protection and provision, whether it's food or protection from any type of enemy. And I think it's kind of appropriate that we reflect on this at this time of year, kind of the bookends, because we just had Canadian Thanksgiving. We're about to have Thanksgiving in the United States, and it's just a reminder. Uh, even though things are difficult, we need to be men and women of Thanksgiving who give thanks to the Lord for all he has done for us and not to forget that. Now, I'm not going to put up a map this time, but we're going to look at some words because we're going to look at a journey that this church has been on. I asked Tom Lauder uh, to send me uh, kind of the history uh, of where this church has been. 
And you can see that this church started in a basement in the Lemon Lake Apartments. I think it was the Browns. I'm not quite sure, but I believe it was there. Uh, Then over closer to the airport, uh, the Blue Sky Mansion Hotel. For those of you who may remember that wonderful place. Okay, very nice. Uh, That didn't work out. Back to the basement in Lemon Lake. Okay, and then to the River Garden Clubhouse. That lasted, I believe, for about a year. Uh, Then we kept going. And the next one was the Yosemite Villa Clubhouse, and that lasted, I think that was a little bit longer, that lasted a bit longer. And then I don't know which restaurant was first or second, but there was a couple of, uh, a summer there in particular, where uh, being bounced from one restaurant to the other, the Piazza in Smallville, and then guess what? Seven years plus, we have been here in the Arts Center. So, not exactly what the Israelites went through, but it's kind of interesting to see that Capital Community Church has had its own little journey in the Exodus as well. And it might be sometimes that we have grumbled, but God very patiently has provided for us, and it's a good thing. So, we've been on our journey too. Now, what I want us to do is we're going to look at the heart of this passage. And when I say the heart of the passage, I'm meaning verses 3 to 6. And uh, the Bible kind of gives us this, um, this uh, hint that this is the heart of the passage because it's a bookend. What we see at the start is when God says, this is what I want you to tell uh, to the people of Israel. And then he ends it in, chap- in um, verse 6 by saying, this is what I want you to tell them. So when the Bible kind of puts these brackets in there, it's a neon light to say, pay attention. I want you to pay attention to this. And that's what we're going to do. So when we look at verses 3 to 6, the first thing I want to call to our attention is how personal this is. What God wants to tell to the nation of Israel is very personal. There are 14 personal pronouns in this part where God is talking to the nation of Israel. 14 personal pronouns. Specifically, he said, I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Interestingly, he didn't say, I brought you here to the mountain, Mount Sinai, to the desert of Sinai. He said, I brought you here to myself. This is intensely personal. And what God wants to say to the people of Israel is, you are my people. And as we'll see later, you are my treasured possession. Intensely personal. Then we see a choice. Twice we see God here where he says, I have chosen you out of all the nations. And although all the earth is mine, I have chosen you. Choice. The almighty God has chosen you, has chosen me, has chosen the nation of Israel. And that's very humbling. But it also just sets your heart on fire. You know, that's what love is. It's choice. I think one of the best uh, examples I've seen of that, uh, some friends of ours um, had adopted a girl. They lived in Thailand. They had two, the older brother and sister were uh, born to the family, and then they adopted a, a little girl in Thailand. And when the little girl in Thailand was about 12 years old, they were at dinner together, and she stopped the conversation because she looked at her brother and sister and said, I hope you're not jealous of me. Because mom and dad like love me more than they love you. And uh, so they kind of waited there a little bit and said, 
and how do you figure that out? And she said, well, I mean, it only makes sense. They had you, but they chose me. Wow, that was powerful. And can you imagine how her mom and dad felt to hear her say that? And I don't even need to elaborate on what you saw last week when Mark got up here and talked about adoption and how we've been chosen and how we've been adopted, adopted into the family of God and how Nancy got up, the Stegies got up. It was just a powerful, powerful reminder of the power of adoption and what it means to you and me and what God has done for us, but also what we can do for others. Very powerful. So we've been chosen. Now, what have we been chosen as? And this is what I want you to hear, and this is what I'm going to pray the Lord drives deeply into my heart and deeply into your heart. Because we've been called a treasured possession in verse 5. God tells the people of Israel, the nation of Israel, you will be my treasured possession if you obey me fully and keep my covenant. Okay? My treasured possession. What is your treasured possession? Sometimes people say, oh, if your house is burning down, what would you go in and save? Right? That's one way of looking at your treasured possession. I think for Linda and me, as I've been thinking about this, and this might seem a little, little small, but when our kids were small, a treasured possession was actually a nightshirt. Okay? Uh, our kids kind of, Linda would wear a nightshirt, they'd hold on to her, it was soft, and she just kind of found out, you know, they liked the nightshirt. So if we were ever going anywhere and we forgot the nightshirt, we paid the price. Because they're just going around crying, where's my nightshirt, where's my, you know. And uh, that was their treasured possession. All four kids learned how to love that same type of nightshirt. Lynn had to keep going back and getting another one because they were just in tatters, okay? But that was our kids' treasured possession. But for us, the treasured possession uh, was our kids. You know, if there is anything happened, we would go save our kids to do anything, right? So our kids, they might be going after the nightshirt, We'd be going after the kids. But here's the amazing thing. God goes after us. We are his treasured possession. Out of all his creation, he says, you are my treasured possession. And at this time, he says to the nation of Israel, you are my treasured possession. The almighty God, the eternal God, you, I, we are his treasured possession. It's going to take a work of the Spirit to drive in that miracle because it's, we can't understand such love and such grace. But there's a flip side in looking at a treasured possession, and that is this. You find out how treasured something is probably most deeply when it's gone, when it's lost, and it's painful. And God, in choosing his treasured possession, knew that that was also possible. That the nation of Israel quite possibly might not obey him fully. That you and I might not obey him fully. So the treasured possession really uh, can be a, just a wound to the heart. And we've got to learn how to grieve when we lose our treasured possessions or our treasured possessions are harmed. And that's part of growth, and it's very painful but we do have a Heavenly Father 
who has experienced that pain and more by sending his son Jesus to die on the cross for our sin. By seeing the nation of Israel turn their back on him time and time again. So what is your treasured possession? Multiply that by infinity and you will start understanding more deeply that you are God's treasured possession. The infinite almighty God and that you're his treasured possession. But God says that he's not only calling us as his treasured possession, but he says, if you obey me fully, you will be my kingdom of priests, and you will be a holy nation. Now, I'm going to suggest this. You can go look at your theology books. I don't really have any good support for this, but it, it was good enough for me. I'll suggest this to you. Is that when we look at the Ten Commandments that the Lord gives to the nation of Israel in the next chapter, chapter 20, the first four talk about our relationship with God. And in that we see that the first four tell us to have no other gods, no idols, to not use the Lord's name in vain, to remember the Sabbath. In a sense, we are representing God and showing people how they can relate to God as a kingdom of priests. Then in the next six commandments, we see how we relate to each other and how we can be a holy nation. And if we can learn how to honor our parents and to not murder, not commit murder, not commit adultery, not steal, not covet, we will see that we can be a reflection of a holy, holy nation to this world. So that's just a suggestion of looking at what God, in the context of this time, tells the nation of Israel they can be as a kingdom of priests and as a holy nation. But what we see mostly here is that the nation of Israel is clarified and defined by the law. This is where they draw their sense of significance. We are God's chosen people, and he has given us his law that we are to obey his law fully. So in verse 8, we see the response to the call, which is when the Israelites say, We will do everything. The Lord has said. Well, for those who have read the rest of the story, you say, really? (laughs) Really? We see it's only in chapter 32. Moses goes up for a long uh, retreat with the Lord, 40 days. The Israelites fear for his life. He's not coming back. What happens? They ask Aaron, uh, make us a god. And uh, they say, come make gods who will go before us. Well, if we looked at uh, have no other gods before me, you know, I am the Lord your God, we see how quickly and how fickle the nation of Israel is. Uh, But before we kind of laugh at them, we can point that same finger back at ourselves. How many of times have we told the Lord, I'll obey you fully, I'll do whatever you say, and the next moment, we're right back to what we've been doing before. It's the same for the nation of Israel. It's the same for you and me. Now, I was with a friend this week, and I was saying what I did not like about this passage is that God said, you will be my treasured possession. You will be a kingdom of priests. You will be a holy nation. I didn't like the future tense. I thought, God, you kind of missed it. It would have been great to see the gospel there in the Old Testament. It would have been great for God to say, you are my treasured possession. But looked in all the different translations. They're all future tense. I didn't like it. I thought God kind of messed the grammar up a little bit. I would have liked the present tense and not the future tense. But it made me think, why did God use the future tense? 
and there's a reason. The Israelites commemorate the giving of the law at Mount Sinai by the holiday or celebration of Pentecost. Now, uh, for most of us in this room, when we hear Pentecost, we don't think about a commemoration of the giving of the law. We think about Acts chapter 2. So what I'd like us to do is look at Acts chapter 2. And uh, what has happened uh, after the Lord, his Passion Week, his crucifixion, his resurrection and ascension, uh, the disciples and other followers of Christ come together, 70. They're meeting together in a room, and all of a sudden the Spirit descends upon them, and they start speaking in different tongues. This attracts attention, and they say, what do we do? And uh, Peter gets up and gives the first gospel message recorded in scripture. And then he concludes it in verses 36 uh, through 39, and let me read that for us. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord will call. Here we see that Peter is saying, at this time, very different than the first Pentecost, it's not if you obey me fully. It's not if you keep my covenant. It's if you call on the name of the Lord, if you repent and are baptized. And as a response to the call, we see in verse 41, those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. And if it's not clear there that this is no longer a future tense, that you will be my treasured possession, you will be a kingdom of priests, you will be a holy nation, we will now look at 1 Peter Chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, which show us what it means for us to sit here today and to respond to God's call. This is what God's word says to you and me today. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Because of Jesus Christ, we don't live in a future tense based on if you obey me fully. We live in a present tense of, you are my chosen people. Jesus came to die for you, came to die for me, and we don't have to worry about that at all. We have gone from future tense to present tense, and it's all because of Jesus Christ. It's all because he has called us to be his treasured possession. And what I want us to notice today is that this is for you as an individual. Three weeks ago, Tom gave you a great message on the bad news and the good news. And the bad news was, it used to be based on your ability to live up to the law. 
which the Israelites could not do, which you could not do. The good news is Jesus has come. Romans 10, uh, chapter 10, verse 4 tells us that Christ is the end of the law. He's the completion of the law. He's the fulfillment of the law that we might have his righteousness. Christ has done that for us. We are his treasured possession. But this is not only for you individually, and this is what I want capital community here today. This is plural. This is Neiman. This is all of us. This is y'all, as we would say in Texas. You are a chosen people. You are a kingdom of priests. Capital community, you are a kingdom of priests. You are a holy nation. We're the church. We are the church. And he's called us together to enjoy the great gift, the grace he has given us is his treasured possession as his kingdom of priests, as his holy nation. May this church have the grace of God as we've been talking about this year, to abide in Christ. As a church body, men and women, boys and girls together, worshiping our God and giving praise to him. Let's close in prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, we are, we are humbled to think that you, the Almighty God, the creator of heaven and earth, have called us as individuals and as a church body to be your treasured possession, not based on our obedience, but based 100% on your son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for our sin. Father, convict each one of us of what that truly means and that we will grow in the understanding of what it means to be your treasured possession, to be a kingdom of priests, to be a holy nation. And may your spirit rest heavily upon Capital Community Church. May we as individuals and as a church body abide in Christ and glorify your name. We pray in Jesus' name.